Good morning, how you guys doing? Thank you for being here. Um, wow, what a privilege do we have to be able to sit here in peace and study God's Word. Um, in case you can't tell, I'm excited. Um, I get to look through this material in advance and um, I love to trace these key themes and concepts throughout the scriptures from the Old Testament to see how they develop and grow, like we mentioned last time, into even more, even to uh, richer, deeper concepts in the new and how they're all resolved in Christ. Um, and I think this is a perfect example of that. Uh, we look at this issue of the, of the Sabbath. Uh, just kind of uh, what by way of reminder, last week we kind of uh, introduced, we briefly looked at the text itself uh, for this, uh, this commandment. And uh, we looked at, uh, briefly compared a few English translations. Um, and we started into uh, a redemptive historical uh, review of how the doctrine of the Sabbath, the Sabbath is both uh, developed in the Old Testament, but specifically in the, old, in the early Old Testament redemptive history, the period before uh, the Mosaic Covenant, before Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments. We noted in particular that the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, is not the first time it was actually issued. It was actually uh, issued in, um, in one sense, specifically in uh, Exodus 16. We looked at that text, and the, we, we talked about the reason why it was, it was put into the Ten Commandments was to um, put it formally in the covenant code. Um, the commandment was already, was already um, put in place, but it, here it's formally put into the, the, the covenant code, and it becomes um, part of that. But then we saw that it had deeper roots. It went back all the way to Genesis, and we saw the obvious connections there with the six plus one pattern. Um, God worked for six days. He rested on the seventh. And that in, um, in its fullest sense, that this was you know, kind of a precursor to the idea that we were made with the intent, that eschatological hope of eternal rest with God in His eternal rest. And that, that six plus one pattern... Uh, the pattern of creation from the very beginning was a foretaste of what our ultimate hope is and um, that we'll someday rest ultimately with God and that Adam um, you know had he um, met the requirements of the covenant works he would have actually had access to continued access to the tree of life uh, and ultimately he would be in that eternal Sabbath rest but he did not and then the nature of that Sabbath hope uh, the nature of the of the the promise of that hope was kind of narrowed to uh, those of the covenant, not just of man in general, but those of the covenant. And so we see this uh, trajectory of this doctrine of the Sabbath developing from the very beginning in Genesis, and it goes throughout the Old Testament. And as it goes through the covenantal structure, it deepens, it broadens, it gets more uh, uh, more enriched, and we're going to see that here today as well. Um, I think I want to start, um, as we mentioned, we moved through uh, Exodus 16, went through what we call the creation Sabbath. We're going to move over to, I believe it's page 9, and we're going to start today with the Mosaic Sabbath and try to work our way all the way through the rest of the Old Testament itself. Next week we would be going into um, New Testament expressions uh, of the covenant, uh, or the uh, Sabbath idea, and working our way to its fulfillment in Christ, and then to how it works toward us today in some of those concepts. There will be a point somewhere here in the future in a couple of weeks or so where 
uh, Rev is going to address it on the most specific level, how this covenant, the concept of Sabbath comes to, um, it, it is expressed here. And um, because some of those things um, are issues that, you know, church leadership and, and the session and, and, and Rev uh, only need to be um, kind of um, shepherding over. So um, we look forward to that as well down the road. So we'll have time to think about it. So uh, starting here on page nine, the top of page nine, the Mosaic Sabbath. The Sabbath is a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, obviously, in Deuteronomy 15, the, emphasis, the, the express purpose for the observance of the Sabbath was slightly different than what we saw in Exodus 20, and we've, we've discussed that uh, previously. But this is a new act of creation. This, uh, the emphasis in the, te- in the Deuteronomy text is a reflection on the um, deliverance from Egypt, and we have this, you know, the, the emphasis in the Exodus version of, the, of, the, of this commandment being focused upon the creative aspect. So we have creator and redeemer. Again, we have creator, we have redeemer. God's being in his, in his actions throughout uh, space-time. And so here we can see this as a new act of creation. He has created a people. He has separated a people from the world, from Egypt, and he is sanctifying them, separating them, making them holy unto himself. And so um, we see there's a connection. Why is it? Um, uh, it's a supernatural act of creation. It took God, and He uh, think about the plagues, where He's exercising authority and power over the um, so-called gods of Egypt. Right? He's demonstrating that He is the one true God, and He is by His power creating a new from that old people, a, a holy people to Himself. And so the doctrine of the Sabbath is going to expand under Moses. We're going to see it here after we have it in Exodus 16. Then we see it formally added to the covenant code in the, um, in, the ten, in the Ten Commandments. Then we see it expressed in multiple ways throughout the Mosaic economy. And here's just a few of the ways that we see forms. Uh, it, so Sabbath becomes a symbol for the people, right? It becomes a symbol, a key symbol of their covenant relationship with God. And it's, a, and it's also a means by which God tests and measures Israel's faithfulness to the covenant, okay? So it's doing both of these things now, okay? And so <clears throat> here's what we see. We see Sabbath patterns all throughout the old tub, uh, the, the, this period of uh, the Mosaic economy. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's a period of seven days of sacrifices. The Feast of Pentecost, seven days after the feast began. The Day of Atonement. The Feast of Booths in the seventh month, the Sabbath year, the seventh year when the land is remain in a, uh, idle, and of course the Jubilee, which is the seven of sevens, the Sabbath of Sabbaths, the ultimate Sabbath when all debts were for, to be forgiven. So there's this rhythm to the life of the people in this period of time, and a, a large portion of it is underneath it is kind of structured by this rhythm of life, which revolves around this six plus one pattern. And it, it just becomes an enormous part of their reality. And like I said, it's both a sign of the covenant, uh, points to the reality of the covenant and what it in the future rests in the end, but it's also a means by which God tests their faithfulness to the covenant. So um, we see here in Exodus 31, I'm going to read just a, a portion of this. I want you to see uh, there's so many things here. We're going to kind of work through this text quick, but I want you to see some of this. Uh, the bottom of page 9, Exodus 31, 12 and following. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, 
Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you that throughout uh, your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, the soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath through their generations, as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested as, and was refreshed. So we see it. The covenant here is a sign. It's a reminder of the people um, as they keep the Sabbath. It's a reminder for what God has done. Uh, and, it, and it demonstrates both to themselves and to, and to those around them that they're keeping the covenant, uh, the covenant itself. So Israel, here at the bottom of the page, you'll see, Israel's Sabbath pointed both backwards, right, to God's Sabbath during the week of creation. It also pointed forward to the time that something will be an even greater fulfillment than rest on this day. Just like in a similar way, circumcision was to be a mark of your entrance into the covenant, Sabbath observance, in a sense, became marked as Israel, as God's people, as they kept the covenant. So we have on uh, page 10 here, the Sabbath rest contextualized by the word, the two words, remembrance and holy. Um, let's see. Okay, this is a great point here, I think, for us to, to kind of move forward from that point in redemptive history. Um, we can kind of see there's a couple more places here in the Pentateuch itself. Uh, in Exodus 31, we saw it became a sign. Um, look at this here in Exodus 23. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So when God called the Sabbath a sign, it meant it was a sign for the Mosaic Covenant, right? It's very specific in this, in this uh, point in redemptive history. Um, it was a sign that God was sanctifying them, setting them apart. Uh, he redeemed them from Egypt. He brought them to himself as his holy people. And then, uh, I would, secondly, I want to notice this issue of the, the penalty for the Sabbath being death. I paused there when I read the text to see if it would kind of resonate. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Uh, I'm glad we don't do that today in our context. But... One thing I would point out, I, I thought this is interesting as I was reading through some of the commentaries and, and how the commentators dealt with it. He said, um, uh, God anchors one reason for Sabbath rest, not in creation, but in their deliverance from Egypt. Um, the Israelites were to rest from their, their labors and to give all those around them rest because God had delivered them from bondage. Israel was not freed from Egypt by her own works, but by the grace of God. That's Fesco. And this is I thought was interesting. The Sabbath then was not only a day of rest, a cessation of labor, and a day to worship God, but it was also a day to celebrate Israel's redemption from slavery in Egypt. The reason God appended the death penalty to the fourth commandment is because Israel could not enter God's Sabbath rest by her own efforts, but by God's grace. It was that important that they got this right. That was their calling. That was... Uh, what they embodied, their their life, their existence was to project that reality 
uh, of God's grace and, and their, dependent upon, their dependence upon it. The fourth commandment then is a living portrait in the sense of Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, a person who worked on the Sabbath was telling the world that he, could, he or she could not enter God's rest by their own efforts rather than by God's grace. Sabbath breakers were punished with death for this very reason. I thought that was pretty interesting. I didn't, that was kind of new. Um, and, and it helped me understand why it was so weighty. Um, because of the weightiness of what they were called to be and to do and to, and, and to express in the world. So a quick excursus here. I'm going to uh, kind of breathe through this on page 11, the top of page 11. Um, the focus on rest and worship. These were kind of the twin engines of the Sabbath at this point in, in, in redemptive history. Um, we see that, uh, we, in a sense, we rest so that we might be free to worship God, but we also worship God in part by trusting Him enough to rest. And you think about in their time and place, an agrarian economy, uh, I mean, you took a day off from working in the fields and you go hungry. I mean, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot more dynamic than what we might think of today. Um, see, uh, we have uh, text Leviticus 25, which addresses the concept of the Sabbath year. And the institution of the Sabbath, uh, of the of the Sabbath for the land, right? Um, in, in Leviticus twenty five one through seven, we see this: the, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord, right? A Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land—it's a big concept. Similarly, in the seventh month of each year, we saw the Day of Atonement is to be observed, and every fiftieth year, like I mentioned before, the year of Jubilee. Um, you're going to see here uh, a little bit towards the bottom, they address issues. Well, these two texts in particular, Psalm 62 and Psalm 95, I think these are, uh, could be really important. Um, Psalm 62, you're seeing an expression where he's resting in God, and that is his hope. And you see undertones of the covenant concept. And look how that feeds into Psalm 95. Um, here at the bottom of page 11. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness. Remember we talked about it in Exodus 16 with the man incident, and they grumbled against God. And Moses is quick to point out that they're, they're grumbling against God, not against Moses. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof that they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The Sabbath was to be a day of rest from work, but also a day dedicated to the worship of God. So there's a lot going on there. Let's move quickly, page 12, I'm going to keep moving on to Sabbath and later Old Testament redemptive history. Let's look at it in the promised land. Um, even the way in which Israel entered the promised land is in Sabbath pattern, right? Think of the symbolism of the, the, uh, Jericho. Six days, six days they march around, and on the seventh, what happens? Um, they rested in a sense, and God took, took care of it. Um, you had the consummation of the conquest on the seventh day. What happens to the rest that is promised to God's people under the leadership of Joshua, right? Joshua was supposed to be the new Moses. Joshua was supposed to lead them into the promised land. Joshua was going to help them to conquest the promised land. And if they obeyed and 
uh, uh, were obedient to uh, the covenant. God was going to come in and vanquish their enemies, and they were going to have rest from their enemies, rest from their oppressors. They're going to feed from the land of milk and honey. The manna had stopped. The bread was the the bread, the food that they were getting now was from the land, the land of promise. So there's a sense here uh, where you're expecting Joshua to deliver them to that goal of rest, but does he? And I think that's what you see. In a sense, it's already accomplished, but then in a sense, it's not yet. And this is a tension we're going to see from now on through the Old Testament, even up into our times, in a sense. So uh, let's look in here in the middle of page 12. Already accomplished. Joshua, so jo we're in Joshua. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. Right? And then the, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not a, one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. And there's, you see another text. These three passages, I read two of them, but these three passages suggest the mission accomplished, right? You're thinking, okay, Joshua's getting them rest. But there's an ambiguity in the text, a purposefully there, where you, you start to question, well, maybe it's not yet fully accomplished, right? Um, let's look at Joshua 13:1 here. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell in the land of the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. So you see, there's texts there's text that kind of emphasize both aspects. You see the ambivalence here. They're saying that the rest was unfinished, but was capable of being deepened. It was inaugurated. Let's say already inaugurated, but not yet consummated. There's different ways you'll hear people talk about this concept. But you see this tension here, and what it's showing us is that Joshua is to be seen kind of as an imperfect type and shadow of the ultimate Joshua, right? Uh, the greater Joshua to come, Jesus, is pointing forward. God's not finished. This is all just type, uh, typology and foreshadowing, right? Uh, the author of Hebrews makes this point explicit. He gets it. He says in Hebrews 4.8, for, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Amen. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So we see that in the, Israel, the Mosaic economy, there's all these Sabbath symbols and the people seem to imitate God, uh, you know, and reflect on this as they uh, represent um, God to the world. And uh, if we look in, uh, on down the road in redemptive history, we even see this in the exile. We're going to see Sabbath themes in the exile. It's throughout the Old Testament. Um, here on page 13, exile and restoration is described in Sabbath terms. There will be 70 years of exile. The land which was not given its rest as Israel is supposed to provide, God will give it its rest. Restoration is even described in the symbolism of sevens. In Daniel, <clears throat> Daniel 77, speak about the ultimate jubilee. The prophetic word says that the, this jubilee will be a day of the Lord. And I'm not going to get into the details of this or the Greek, uh, Greek um, grammar and things like that, but there's a sense in which this is a play. It could be described as the Lord's day. Um, you're going to see this covenant. is It's rich, and I wish we had more time to explore it, but I think 
it's interesting in the way that there's a genitive construction there. But anyway, um, I want to look at this real quickly on Nehemiah. So we're, we, we come after the exile, and they're returning to the land. They've actually read the book of the law to the people, and things are going, and the people are, well, the people are saying, wow, you know, um, here in the middle of page 13, uh, the people are saying, uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 10, and if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the, forego the crops of the seventh year and the exact, exaction of every debt. But here's what Nehemiah said was going on, right? That's what the people are saying, but here's what Nehemiah says is going on. <clears throat> this is Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, 1, and then I'll go right to 15, 22 and following. On that day, the very day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Now think about this. Nehemiah's coming back, and he's fired up, right, to defend God's honor and to push this people to be what they were called to be. And this is what he's focusing on. This is important. He says, um, I saw them treading, the people do treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on that on the day that, uh, when they sold food. Uh, Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath day. You get the point. It's important. It's important to their identity of who they are. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem, before the Sabbath, he says the Sabbath five times in three verses here. It's that important. He is, it is throughout the text. It's a major issue. And as we're going to see, these, this kind of this... This organic development of the theme of, of, of Sabbath. It's not about it's not alone by itself. There are other themes going and growing alongside of it uh, in the in the text that uh, work sometimes with it and around it and through it. But this theme itself grows and develops and becomes more complex and, and richer and more uh, informative and then it and then it finds its culmination in Christ in the New Testament. And so when we see when we jump to text in the New Testament, and this is what I hope you will get from this, when you see text in the New Testament that are, that are issues surrounding the Sabbath, think back to this whole trajectory of how this is from the very beginning and just grows and grows and grows and grows and all is pointing towards Christ. And when he fulfills some of these things, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I hope you see that. Um, <clears throat> I, I put a few summary purposes here on page 14. But uh, next week, we're going to kind of uh, address Sabbath and the New Covenant, Sabbath and Christ, and then how uh, work towards Sabbath and us today, kind of bring this to uh, something a little bit more personal and direct. But that's really all I have today. Um, thanks again for being here. I'm going to close this in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this privilege that we have to read your word, to learn about who you are and who we are called to be in Christ and we just pray that you would drive your word deep into our hearts, into our minds, and open up your word to us that we might better understand it and long to uh, serve you by being obedient unto it. And then we pray we would reflect that back into this world 
as image bearers. Um, we love you. We thank you for all things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.